1: Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 112. Today on our show,
0: Rob Irvin. You know, they seem like they're for a long time the people who are the most passionate fans of the Reds who would tell you how much they love the Reds, would tell you how much they love the Reds by telling you how much they hate individual players.
1: Rob Irvin was a producer and cast member of the Gary Burbank Show. He also worked extensively at 97X and was one half of the popular Chris and Rob show on the WAIF, W-A-I-F. He is our first stay-at-home order guest, so we'll see how this goes. I recorded this at home, and if you listen closely at the beginning, you can hear my wife and daughter walking around upstairs, uh, doing a little cleaning. I think somebody dropped a broom or something at some point. But uh, more importantly, you'll hear Rob talking about being stationed in South Korea as a kid barely out of high school, then working in college radio in the heyday of that format, and of course, his days at 97X and working on The Gary Burbank Show. If you've been liking the podcast, you can support it via PayPal or Venmo. Simply use podcast.sncshirts.com and kick in whatever you feel is fair. Also, be sure to listen for the special promo code for 20% off near the end of the episode. Yes, we're still doing that. And now let's talk to Rob Rob Urban. <laughs>
0: Cincinnati She came down from Cincinnati Just maybe think of me once in a while I'm at cincyshirts.com in Cincinnati
1: So you're our first Corona COVID-19 guest that we've had. We've managed to keep these things going without having to use the phone. Uh, to conduct these interviews but now we've the tank is run dry and coincidentally you work in a hospital
0: yeah that's right so i thought i should probably stay away and uh not uh, break any of the uh, social distancing protocols because uh, although i thankfully feel fantastic uh, i don't know what's crawling all over my body right now
1: exactly well we um are going to be doing a lot of Skype interviews for the next couple of weeks, it looks like. Uh, We probably won't be doing anything in person for a long, long time. So, um, but yeah, so how are things at the hospital? I guess the thing I'm hearing is that what people don't understand is, is that uh, even though most people that get it will recover just fine, and would not require hospitalization, enough people are going to get it that require hospitalization, that it's going to overwhelm the hospitals. Is that...
0: Well, we hope that doesn't happen. Um, Right now, hospitals in Cincinnati area and a lot of places across the country are actually quite slow and empty because uh, hospitals are discouraging people from showing up unless they really, really, really need to be there. Yeah. So no elective surgeries. Nobody's going in there to get an artificial knee or an artificial hip. Or to get a mole removed that's uh, non-cancerous, you know, not no, no uh, nothing that's not serious is being done right. So everything in there now is, if you're in a hospital now, it's because you really are sick. Yeah, you you don't just have a you know arthritic knee or something. So so I actually uh, work was pretty slow the last couple nights uh, that I worked because the overall population in the hospital is way way down. Because the, they're discouraging people from showing up unless you're truly, truly sick. And if you do show up, they're going to try to send you home as quickly as possible.
1: Aha! So they're doing this though in anticipation of the uh, of the curve going up, as Dr. Amy Acton says. Uh, should they need all that bed space?
0: Right, the curve going up, and there are a few COVIDs in the hospital. So oh, there are some. There's, but there, you know, it's not overwhelming. But there are a couple of people with COVID uh, in there. So there's no visitors anywhere in the hospital. Aha. Uh-huh. So uh, yeah, so there's nobody coming to see grandma or grandpa or, or mom or dad in the hospital. There's no visitors allowed.
1: I think the other thing that's confusing people is people think this should be like uh, like Andromeda Strain or Contagion, one of these movies were like, Everybody, the whole country is wiped out, and there's zombies wandering around, and there's ambulances everywhere. And it's not like no, I mean, there's most of life could still go on, except for the fact this thing is like super contagious, and you know, uh, deadlier than your common flu. But
0: yeah, that's what we're trying to avoid. We're trying to avoid avoid the uh, people walking around in a post apocalyptic wasteland, right? (laughs) Scavenging for food and gasoline (laughs) and stuff.
1: Yep, we don't want it. Don't want it to be Thunderdome.
0: No, we don't need any of that. I was just actually watching the uh, Rick and Morty where they went to a Thunderdome-type atmosphere, and, and uh, they were talking about that kind of stuff.
1: So uh, what do, I know what you do at the hospital, vaguely, but perhaps you can share with the listeners uh, what you do at the, at the Hamilton. Which hospital do you work at, first of all, and what do you do?
0: Uh, I am a certified pharmacy technician, and that means I... Uh, deliver drugs, pretty much. Make IVs and uh, deliver drugs.
1: Okay. Um, so, uh, and you've been doing that for how long?
0: Uh, uh, 2012, I guess, is when I started. So, man, it's way too long.
1: Wow. And you work weird hours from what you've told me.
0: Yeah, typical hospital hours. Or uh, It's like seven nights on and seven uh, days off. So, it's, oh. you know... Uh, Nick Lowe's song, Seven Nights to Rock, and then there you it, go. Uh, you know, Seven <laughs> Nights to Work.
1: There you go. Does that work out for you? Is that f- f- for you and your lifestyle?
0: Oh, it's great half the time. <laughs> there you go. <clears throat> no, it takes it, it. does take some getting used to, and the people that are around you have to be used to saying goodbye to you and then not seeing you for a week because you'll either be asleep or at work. Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so... Uh, let's go back here to the beginning. When did you show up at Bowling Green? Because that's where we met.
0: Yes, I got to Bowling Green. Uh, well, we'll go back before that. I got out of the Army in uh, September of 85. Okay. So you, uh, so uh, fall semester had probably already started by then, I would guess. In September, they usually have. So I didn't go till the... Spring semester, which started in January of 86. So I got on campus in January of 86.
1: Okay. And how long had you been in the Army?
0: Uh, just two years. They had two-year enlistments back in the uh, mid-'80s, early-'80s. Did a two-year hitch, eh? Two-year hitch, yep. Two years active duty, then uh, and then uh, Bowling Green.
1: And uh, so where were you stationed when you were in the Army?
0: I was in... Uh, korea for 13 months and then i was in uh, hamilton for well i was in hamilton for 45 days trying to be a recruiter i didn't recruit i didn't recruit anybody to join the army (laughs) even though i was supposed to be recruiting all the kids i knew in high school but they all knew that they didn't want to be like me and so i didn't recruit (laughs) anybody and then uh, they sent me to korea and then after that i went to fort riley kansas
1: hmm that's quite a quite a culture shift
0: yeah, Korea to Kansas, uh, and very much different kind of atmospheres.
1: Um, so do they
0: usually send people to their hometown to recruit? No, uh, I, I don't know why they picked me to do it. I think I think because I had like a high score, like you take a test when you go into the Army, and I can't remember what it's called. I think it's pretty much just straight out IQ test, but they don't want to call it that. And I think my score was a little bit higher than some of the other people. And so, and you fill out a thousand forms when you go in the Army, you know, paperwork. They make fun of that a lot. And there's a reason because you do just fill out form after form after form. And I do remember, and one of the forms was after advanced individual training, would you like to go home for 45 days to work as a hometown recruiter assistant or something like that and i said well sure hmm. and then i didn't think anything of it and then like a week before i was supposed to get out of uh, ait advanced individual training that drill sergeant came up to me and said you got to be kidding me how did a jackass like you get to go back home for 45 days
1: huh. and did they like set a quota or anything for you like you need to recruit this many or we'd like to recruit this many or just they just send you out and say do whatever you can
0: um, ha, ha, this worked out great because when I arrived in Hamilton to the recruiting station, it was actually one or two of the sergeants who were there when I joined, signed up, were still there. And I also, but I, and I didn't really know what all this meant, but I had already had my, I already had my orders in my plane ticket to Korea. So I just didn't think anything of it. And then when I got to, uh, they were like telling me I had to get somebody in every week, like one body a week or something, which was just seemed like crazy to get one person a week to join the army. It seemed really high to me. Hmm. I failed miserably. <laughs> and uh, so then the guy, the, the head of the place is just like, all right, dude, we're just going to go ahead and send you on to Korea now. Uh-huh. And then I said, oh, okay, well, here, you'll need this then. And I thought I was being helpful, and he thought I was being a smartass. I showed him my orders in my ticket, and he's like, you already got your orders in your ticket? There's nothing I can do. (sighs) Uh, And so from then on, I just went in in the morning, and, like, he had me clean the office for two or three hours, and I just went and played basketball for the rest of the day.
1: Oh, there you go. So you didn't really talk to any recruits?
0: Uh no, he said you suck at it. Why are <laughs> you doing that? I mean, if they had an event where they would take a jeep out somewhere and pass out literature and stuff, like I would go do that.
1: That's funny. But he
0: had me like trying to you know going to every going to a high school every day, going to Hamilton High or Fairfield or Little Cotas or Talawanda. or maybe just been one of Lakota back then. Or you know to to get a different high school going on there.
1: Hmm. So, what was
0: Korea like? <laughs> Korea was very different, man. I had never been away from home. I had never been uh, anywhere at all. And then, you know, it's—I uh, don't know—you you, you fly to St. Louis, and then you fly to Oakland, and then you fly to Japan, and then you finally get to Korea, and then you then you're on a a bus and it just it takes forever to finally get where you're going i mean it just takes seemingly forever to finally get to where you're actually supposed to be and uh it was considered a hardship tour then so it was only a year like the guys went to germany had to go there i think for 18 months or two years or three years even but korea was considered a hardship because it was you only went there for one year and when i got there we lived in like the like how you picture old-timey army barracks being like gomer pile <laughs> where it's just one big giant long open room and you're you know there's a guy you're sharing a bunk bed with somebody oh wow and so yeah it was like that and then we they finally built new barracks on the post at some point and so we all we moved into like four man rooms but, you know, the the first day that I when I got to the field artillery unit, which, which I served, you know, the lieutenant colonel comes out and he just says, you guys are here to die. There's not nearly enough of us to hold back the North Korean and Chinese army. We are only here to die. So <laughs> the people back home will be pissed off enough to actually send a real amount of troops over here. So just remember that. Sounds like a great plan. And we're gonna we're gonna do all these uh, activities and drills where we wake you up in the middle of the night and we, we all run to our trucks and we run out like we pretend like the country's under attack. But I mean, those are kind of pointless because once the uh, north does come across, you guys will all be incinerated in your beds. But we're you still know, gonna do it.
1: I used to work with a gal at the airport whose uh, husband was stationed in Korea, and she was telling us that they uh, her husband's. Uh, d- 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 Whatever squad, would detachment, whatever, had to went out on a uh, off-base assignment or something like that. So this is all the civilians back at the base, and they had a drill, and the civilians had no idea it was a drill. They thought it was the real thing. Scared the hell out of everybody. They thought the North Koreans were a-coming. And uh, they ever knew that while you were there?
0: Well, actually, there was always <laughs> a, a rumor that the Korean locals, because we had... Um, people who lived in the in the village outside the base, they, they would work yeah, doing jobs on the base, like the, the barbershop, the tailor, the they would help uh, wash dishes in the kitchen. They would, you know, they also ran a little snack bar. So that you know, there was Korean Koreans all over at the base. And they always knew because I think the army at that time I think the army was telling the local population don't freak out. You're going to hear a siren
1: tomorrow oh, okay. at
0: four a.m. <laughs> Don't panic. You're going to see all the trucks are going to come spewing out of the, you know, the army bear army compound. Don't worry about it. Don't panic. So I, the, the locals all knew. They, you know, they would. They sometimes they would tell us, ah, you guys are going to have a drill day after tomorrow. What? Yep. know, <laughs> they would just tell you. They, they weren't supposed to, but they would still tell you. So I, I think the civilian population was more clued in, and they knew what was going on a lot more than your average uh, private, private first class knew what was going on.
1: So you're right up there on the 38th parallel.
0: I think we were six minutes away by jet, is how they described it. Oh, okay.
1: And is there more than one base there? I reckon there must be,
0: right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a whole bunch of other tiny. I mean, okay. they were tiny. Now they're all. I think most of them are gone, and only the big ones are left. But they had a a whole bunch of very small. Like there's only like 1,200 people on my base. And then they're in. You know, for the guns to fire, they we had to go drive way out in the middle of the you know, oh. I consider it the middle of nowhere. I didn't know where I was at any point in time. But yeah, for the guns to practice firing and they we had to drive way off base. It's not like some of these big giant ones in America, in California or Oklahoma or Texas, where you can just shoot, you know, guns for miles and miles and miles.
1: Did you get to see any of Korea, like any of the like bigger cities or anything?
0: Well, I went to Seoul, but I think I, uh, I think I was the dumb, typical GI and I only saw the dumb, typical GI parts of Seoul. And even though I did have a, a Korean friend, he, you know, he was, they called it the Korean augmentation to U S army, Katusa. And he was, he had, he, he slept above me or below me. I can't, we shared a bunk bed and, uh, he did show me around to, like, some of the parts of the local villages that weren't just uh, GI touristy, trappy things. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid all I saw was uh, the Army bars and Army. Ah. Okay. And uh, even though if it was off post, it was geared toward uh, the GI crowd. Which is unfortunate. I mean, you know, if I'd have been a little more mature and a little more not just looking to drink, <laughs> I would have. I would have. Uh, I would have a lot more out of going over there. But I think you could. Uh, I think most of the GIs who are eighteen or nineteen, twenty, and go overseas, you could probably would probably tell you the same thing. Hmm.
1: Interesting. So you come back to uh, Southwest Ohio in in nineteen eighty five, and at that point, ninety seven X has become ninety seven X. Did you have any interest in radio at that point uh, to pursue it, or did that kind of turn up at Bowling Green?
0: No, I knew I always liked radio, and I knew I really liked music. I would soon find out later that liking music and liking radio have nothing to do with each other whatsoever, and that those are completely Opposite and quite often conflicting music, you know, characteristics or personality traits you don't need to have at all. You don't need to like music to be in a radio. You just need to like radio and actually liking music. Is a huge hindrance if you want to be, be in radio.
1: Yeah, it funny you say that because that's really what got me into radio. And I always liked radio too. Uh, you know, sports broadcasting, I grew up with AM radio and all that other stuff, but then I also liked music. But yeah, those, you are exactly right. You learn uh, down the road. If you like music and you like radio, you're going to get your heart broken.
0: Yeah, it's good to not like, like if you, maybe if you don't like, country maybe it's a good idea to work for a country station because if you really like country you're just going to bemoan the 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 country that's being played
1: yep wow
0: and if you really like you know rock and roll you're you're just going to your heart's just going to cry as you keep playing the same crappy 12 rock and roll songs over and over again uh, so I always liked radio and I always liked music and uh believe I picked bowling green because they sent a postcard or a le- I I had applied to uh like three or four different places and and bowling green they all accepted me bowling green accepted me and I think they all like well, they all wanted to accept a GI I, I think I could have probably could have got into Harvard or something I, <laughs> at that point at every place wanted to have wanted to be friendly with the army types Well, there you go. I got in and 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 by Pick Bowling Green, I think, because they sent me something in the mail that said, "Hey, we just built a new radio station, and if anybody in uh, the area wants to work on a college campus radio station, we got a heck of a good one here at Bowling Green."
1: Okay, so let me set the stage here. I had showed up the year before, and uh, we were in Old South Hall, uh, for those of you who might know the area, Uh, and then uh, we moved. In 85 to West Hall, a couple buildings down. And, they yeah, they built this at the time, state-of-the-art studio. Uh, a lot of upheaval. I was still a dumb kid. I just finished being a freshman. And I can't remember what happened, but uh, there was a big turnover of personnel in the fall. And the people I was in a TV class with were also at the radio station. And everybody got jobs at the radio station. I was just a DJ. And they said, we need you to be the music director. And I'm like, me? why and they're like you know about music and i'm like okay so i did it and uh yeah and then yeah i forgot about that that's when after west hall was built uh, and so you show up in january and uh yeah there you have it so that's eventually we meet somehow i guess shortly after
0: yeah and i think it was uh an english class somebody from the radio station showed up to an english class and said hey we have a radio station you know, be in West Hall in the whatever building, room number if you want to watch yeah. this radio station. And uh, so that's, I just showed up there and, uh, and underwent some training. And next thing I know, I had a show from uh, 2 a.m. to 5 a.m., 2 a.m. to 6 a.m., I think. There you go. On uh, like... Friday nights or yeah, Saturday nights.
1: I did that shift. Yeah, that was my first one. Uh, end of no. freshman year, end of '84, end '85. I think I did it, and then I got I got morning drive in the fall of '85. I was very happy about that.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I was happy to get off the two a.m. to yep six a.m. weekend shift. Yeah. So, but yeah, everybody else is out partying or running around, or they've already come back from partying, and you're and they're wondering why you're drinking coffee at eleven p.m. Well, I gotta go, I gotta go play Husker Du records here in two hours, <laughs> or or
1: take requests for Bob Seger, which? Uh... Oh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, yeah, so a BGU, uh, and it, the requests would come from all over, and then uh, they would be for anything.
1: Yep. Well, they weren't lying. It was a great radio station. It was a great college radio station, and uh, that is the one thing I am happy about that I that I did turn up there because um, I was kind of after I lived in. I graduated from high school in Cleveland, but I wound up uh, spending the off times of not in school in Pittsburgh, uh, living with my dad. And the local university there, Pittsburgh, didn't even have a station until, I think, 1985 or 6. And so they were kind of had to play catch-up. So I was lucky to turn up into a place, even though it was in the middle of nowhere, basically, that had what really was a good college radio station.
0: Really? Not Pitt? Not Duquesne? Not...
1: Pitt, WPTS, Carnegie Mellon had one that was very avant-garde. In fact, if when we went to the CMJ convention, uh, who, who did I go there with? I can't remember, but the, the gal that was going to, she was my assistant music director. And uh, the Carnegie Mellon station had a, was, had quite a reputation. It was very avant-garde. Uh, it made BGU look like a top 40 station. And uh, so they, those folks had an attitude. But WPTS in Pittsburgh didn't start until, I think, uh, the fall of 85, it might've been 86. And, uh, they were, yeah.
0: They were just trying to be more like Bowling Green.
1: Uh, I reckon. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Um, and now I, do you listen to the station at all? Like, cause you can listen to it online.
0: I was actually up there in January near the, uh, the, at the end of January. I wanted to go, I hadn't been up there in years and I had some, and I was a trip I was supposed to take fell through, so I, you know, what's what's always your backup plan, Bowling Green. And I went up <laughs> there, but the kids weren't there though. I mean, I guess winter break now lasts forever, even though this was the last week of January, the kids still weren't back. Oh wow. Yeah, or maybe it was. I don't know. It was the twentieth something of January. It was. It was long. It was after Martin Luther King Day, which is always. Well, I always thought school always started again, but the kids weren't back, and I li- did listen to it. And I think it was just you know whoever from town wanted to do a show could do a show. Yeah, or these- whatever kid was still uh, you know couldn't go home or didn't got tired of being home, went back. But it still sounded good, and uh, you know the and I listened to it in the car on the way there and back, and it's I mean it still sounded good. It still sounded very professional. The liners and the the sweeps in and out and all that stuff sounded really good. I don't know how much it was bouncing off a satellite though now.
1: Yeah, it's um. They're not playing much of the rock and roll anymore, which is the, the schedule is much more divided up. And I remember when we were there, uh, probably about the time you showed up, there was a, a, a rumor that they were going to switch the station to like an all jazz station because we are our sister station, WFAL, uh, the AM Carrier station. And you know how great rock and roll sounds on AM Carrier and coming through your cable speakers. Uh, mm-hmm. They figured, well, that, they're, you have a rock station there. You don't need two rock stations. And, of course, we fought that vehemently and, and we won, shockingly.
0: Yeah, and then from what I remember, there was a jazz show. Yeah, and a couple couple days a week, every day of the week, there was r and B type show every day of the week. And you know, there's big band on the weekends and bluegrass on the weekends. I remember the bluegrass guy, a little skinny dude. And, and I can't kinds remember his of name. Stuff all over the place on I mean, the weekends.
1: Do you remember the dude that did bluegrass, that little skinny dude? He was actually a townie. I don't think he even went to to school at BG.
0: Country Craig Lammers.
1: Go, Craig Lammers. Whatever happened to that guy? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I I think he was on before me when I did one of the morning drive shifts. The morning drive shifts uh, didn't, isn't as sexy as it sounds. There was five different people. You only had one of the shifts. And I must have had Monday or something because I know I came in and his show was finishing up. So I think he did was doing it like late Sunday night, early Monday morning, or something. At least one of the times. But yeah, country, Craig Lambers. There you go. <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, we did a morning show eventually, and I can't remember what day it was. But it, yeah, it was you know, it was great. It was great. It was what a college station was supposed to be. And, Absolutely. You know, um some dude want to play a song that has the f word in it and then like some senior would have to tell him if you play a song that has the f word in it and and somebody complains yeah then we we might get in trouble about it and then they yeah. say hey man this is america dude You <laughs> take that stuff right back to russia i'm gonna go ahead and play this song that has the f word well if you do that and then there's a complaint we're yep. gonna get in trouble and then we're gonna have to pull you off the, you pull me off the air man you might as well be stalling <laughs> what's what's supposed to happen in college Uh, happening
1: yeah yeah those are the days man that or people actually playing bob seeger uh in the middle of another and occasionally
0: there, there would be you know guys who were there i mean some some people were i really like music and so i just want to share my favorite music with as many people as i can and i also Want to learn about different bands that I wouldn't learn about because we got so many records. And there were records at that point. We got so many records in that place that you always picked up somebody new. And and there was always somebody you never heard of that you would end up liking. Like every week you could pick up a couple bands. Oh, yeah. But then there were also guys who were like, this is the minor leagues. Of broadcasting and i someday hope to be in the major leagues yep and they were very professional and very prepared and they knew exactly what every break was going to be and they were already pretending like they were on a corporate station and they you know did it very much taking it very seriously and they weren't just in there goofing off trying to Play their favorite Susie Sue songs for their friends.
1: Yeah, I think I kind of landed in the middle. I mean, I I I kind of planned some stuff for my show, but uh, I still like to to have fun. Um, so uh, after Bowling Green, when did you get involved with ninety seven X?
0: Well, I came home from uh, Bowling Green, and I did you know I did radio all the years of Bowling Green, and like every. Summer, when I'd come home, I would uh, go to Oxford, put on my little jacket and tie, have my little cassette tape of my <laughs> killer breaks from BGU, and I would drop it off there, and I'd say, hey, if you guys need any summer help, which I don't think they ever did summer help. I don't think they ever did summer help it, at at 97X. Because by the time they trained you and stuff, your summer's about over. So yeah. what's, you know, what's the point, really? Um, so, But every year I'd go up there. And I'd drop off a tape and I'd apply for a job and every year they'd say, hey, thanks for the tape, man. Okay, now beat it. <laughs> and then uh, my brother, it's all, about, it's all about your relatives being in the right place at the right time. My brother was actually manager of a furrow lumber in Fairfield. And a salesman from 97X showed up to furrow lumber in Fairfield and said, hi, would you like to buy some commercial time? on 97 x and my brother said no i'm just the local manager of the furrow here uh but my little brother is looking for a job he just got out of college and he really did a lot of radio while he was up there and they said well he should uh, give us a call because we're actually hiring now and so from there i uh, yeah went went back up there with the, my, my little jacket and tie on and my cassette tape and actually had a real interview because i Yes, they they did well they were hiring because they did hire me
1: oh there you go and was that after you'd graduated
0: yes okay this was no I guess it was uh when we grad. when did I graduate 89 I graduated 89 so uh, yeah this was uh I guess fall of 89 I'd say maybe like okay. I graduated in May and so this was probably the fall of 89 I would guess
1: and then, how long before you realized what a shoestring budget they were running on over there?
0: Uh, pretty early. Uh, <laughs> they, yeah, I mean that they really, really, and and it's probably my fault. I should have uh, lived five minutes from the station because they want you could have you could be as involved and active as you possibly wanted. To be up there, so it was almost more like an internship, like a paid internship, because they'd still, you know, they'd want you to as a weekend worker, weekend part timer. They'd say, "Hey, we're having a remote underneath the water tower, and want you to come on up and help pass out uh, buttons and T-shirts and keychains and stuff." And you'd say, okay, great, so, you know, what is it, like the same hourly wage you get for doing on, well, uh, you know, we'll give you a t-shirt.
1: <laughs> there you go.
0: And and we'll give you a cassette.
1: <laughs> From the prize
0: closet. Yeah, 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 they'd bust in the prize closet and they'd hand you a, a, a cassette, maybe. There you go. Yeah, there was plenty of uh, work you could do for a cassette or you know, CD later on, but yeah, started off, you, whatever you, you know, whatever you were paid in cassettes.
1: That's a $20 value right there. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, cause and, I remember...
0: and, um, well, I mean, Steve Baker, he's still the voice of the Red Hawks, still Bake. does a fantastic job uh, for the Miami University. I mean, he could do the morning show, he could also take apart and put together the, the studio. He could take apart and put together the transmitter. And he could DJ any shift and sound great. He, you know, he could do anything. He could do everything and anything. And, and uh, so they were very lucky to have a guy like that on staff.
1: Yeah, we got to get that guy in the podcast. I yeah. I jot yeah, that down.
0: I heard him doing, you know, uh, Miami basketball before they uh, – Season got canceled. He's he's does a fantastic job. I don't think he has to work on the transmitters anymore, though.
1: Yeah, yeah. There you go. Dream gig. Because he he seemed always seemed a little older than the rest of the air staff. Yet he really knew his
0: stuff. Ah, uh, yeah. I think he was a little bit older, but not that much older. He just had, and he also had the best radio voice. Right. I mean, he, he has a great radio voice. Yeah, yeah. I certainly don't. And but well, yours is unique. Uh, I mean, some of the other guys up there what what they lacked in the great radio voice they made up for with uh, you know wit and knowledge of the music and creativity and being great but he actually had a fantastic and still does has a great radio voice and he could probably be one of those guys that just sat in his house and read arby's commercials for different stations across the country oh yeah you know make a decent living doing that
1: yeah. Uh, so, w- did 97X ever become a full time gig for you? Cause I remember when I showed up here in Cincinnati in '93, my wife and I were driving, around, we heard you on. They were like, "Whoa, it's it's Rob Urban," and, and it was probably a weekend shift. Maybe I don't know, but was was there ever a full time gig for you?
0: I was never a full time gig. I did. I mean, I would do spurts of full time work where you know if somebody went on vacation, then I'd fill in for that whole week. And then quite often, like in the summer, you know, somebody would be on vacation and somebody else would be on vacation and somebody else would be on vacation because that's sort of how vacations, you know, work. So there would be, a, you know, periods of time when I'd be on like every day for three or four weeks in a row or something. And you could get the mistaken impression, But I don't know what the – I don't think there's any difference. I don't think there's any benefits. I don't think there's any, you know, I don't know. It's just the number of hours.
1: Yeah, not not with those guys. <laughs> I remember I worked at a record store at uh, at uh, Forest Fair Mall, and as my former boss calls it, the Forest Fail Mall. Now it's split up in Cincinnati Mills. And anyway, we tried to do a, a remote and try to get 97X to sponsor. And they were like, no, we're not doing any trades. It's, it's, it, it's cash on the barrel head. And I immediately got a whole different perspective of the station. Still loved it, but then it's like, oh, okay. I understand now.
0: So. Yeah, I mean, the station had a weird. I mean, just the signal didn't really penetrate Cincinnati or Dayton, regardless of what the movie Rain Man would have you believe. Yes, <laughs> the signal didn't really <laughs> penetrate the actual city of Cincinnati, in the neighborhoods of Cincinnati very well. No, and that really made a lot of advertisers hesitant to uh, put their money at this, on a station which the people may or may not be able to hear. And this is before you could grab it online and stuff. This exactly. Is, you know, you're actually. You're actually listening in your car, or you're listening, and um, so you, uh, so the, the kids in Oxford could get it, and I think it came in pretty well, going north toward Dayton, and it came in great going west to Indiana, but there's. You know, not a lot of population going, you know, once you head out of Oxford and head west, you're not really going through too many major metropolitan areas.
1: Well, once you got east of, like, 71 was a problem. And I guess probably part of that problem was is that it was there must have been a directional signal in that uh, there was another uh, 97.7 signal. It's, it's east of here. And, of course, when they sold the station, they, uh, the company that bought them bought both 97.7s and then made them one station uh, but that's the other problem is because W-O-X-Y would interfere with the station. I think it's out in Georgetown, maybe, is right. where their transmitter it's, was.
0: It's, it's all the uh, Hispanic station, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. Or the the religious folks bought it first, and, and then, they made, yeah. then they made it Hispanic. But, yeah. Um, so does the <clears throat> Chris and Rob show start before uh, you get pulled into the BBC, or is it uh, – what's the, what's the timeline there?
0: That's a – Darn good question. So I knew Chris uh, Comer from the Chris and Rob Late Night Talk Show and the Chris Comer Trio, his jazz trio, which uh, is fantastic. As soon as all this corona stuff is over with, you should make sure you check out the Chris Comer Trio. He does a great job. But uh, we we went to Bowling Green together. Me, you, and Chris. That was it, the three of us at Bowling Green. Yep. And we all worked together at the radio station. And then... uh, 90, I guess. I started doing the uh, WAIF show, W-A-I-F. Oh, there you go. I think uh, it may have been 91. I think Chris may have taken it. I think he enjoyed the atmosphere of Bowling Green uh, more than most people, and uh, so he extended his stay there, I think, an extra year or two. So it may have been 91 or 92. Okay. (laughs) It may have been 91.
1: But well before before the Burbank show.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then – we got a summer show and so we were on in the middle of the day uh, during the summertime and then a late night slot again two to five opened up I think it was a Tuesday nights two to five opened up on uh, waif we said sure we'll take it you know there's only stuff you can only do when you're uh, in your early 20s and really don't have any responsibilities or anything yeah i to do ai will do a I'll do a radio show from 2 a.m. to 5 a.m., and what the heck, I can go into work exhausted one day a week. (laughs) doesn't matter.
1: You had some good guests on there. I remember we interviewed Todd Rundgren, for one.
0: Chris was fantastic at uh, hounding guests, at getting guests. He he really did a great job at getting the guests. We had uh, Todd Rundgren on. We had uh, Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick on. Oh. Uh, We had Jerry Lewis on, Buddy Hackett. Grandpa Al Lewis, a whole bunch of guys who are no longer with us. But we had had a whole, uh, John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin. That was one of Chris's favorites. Oh, wow. He was on there. Um,
1: And again, this is when you had to listen like then. There was no, there's no podcast. There's no rebroadcast of this.
0: (laughs) Now, I think one of the times when we talked to Todd Rundgren, we talked to him two or three times, I think. Um, they did have the internet going on in the uh, oh. early 2000s.
1: Oh, that's true. Yeah, because you did do the Christian Rob show for a while.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, But the WAF internet at that time was set up so like, I think 10 people could log on. And uh, when we announced that uh, Todd Rundgren was going to be on, like the 10 people were on immediately, whoever the, huh. <laughs> those people were. Hotheads from across the country were uh, tuned into Wave, and there are a lot of them. <clears throat> yeah, he was a great guy to talk to, and you know, obviously a fantastic musician and a hell of a songwriter. So yeah, he was great to talk to.
1: Uh, produced a lot of great albums, uh, Psych Furs, XTC, uh, tons and tons of stuff. Um, oh, he did the, and I think I actually found out you were going to have him on, and I sent you guys a question because he did the soundtrack for one of my favorite '80s TV shows, Crime Story. And he quit uh, a couple episodes in because it was so cartoonishly violent he couldn't stand it. He said, "This is there's no need for the show to be this violent. And it was ridiculously violent, which is odd because I hate that kind of stuff. But for some reason, I loved Crime Story. <laughs> it's one of those weird things. But, uh,
0: uh, who was that? Was that the one with Dennis Farina? Dennis,
1: Dennis Farina, Andrew Dice Clay. Oh,
0: okay.
1: I interviewed
0: oh, I- oh, you yeah. <clears throat> I think if you go back, the stuff, everything you liked at age fifteen or sixteen, you you may not still enjoy that. I
1: still like it. I get they, it's on Pluto TV. I still go back and watch the old episodes. Yeah, and it's <laughs> I hate shows where people get shot up and murdered and everything like that. I think one of the things that takes place in the '60s, so it's it takes place like three, or four years before I was born. So there's that separation maybe, but I don't know why I can I can tolerate that. And it's not really bloody. It's it's 1980s shooting people. There's you don't see any blood. You don't see anybody's head getting blown off. But there. There's a lot of people getting shot if you're friends with dennis farina you're getting shot <laughs>
0: that's because a lot, people, a lot of people grabbing their stomach
1: yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah a lot of that <laughs> it kind of thing oh, could be a bullet love it old cars 60s tunes uh guys wearing hats carrying guns uh, it's i love it i can't get enough of it but then but other stuff i just i don't like but i digress um so that takes us to the the bbc and i kind of know how you got pulled into the bbc but uh why don't you tell the story
0: well, um, Damien, uh, you may remember him from ninety seven X. He was the, on the morning show. He was on the did nights. He did afternoons. Damien was all over at ninety seven X, and uh, he's started freelancing for Gary Burbank into BBC. And he eventually left ninety seven X to go work full time for Burbank into BBC. And so, I was also at that time freelancing. I would just send them scripts, and I remember I was also working for the uh, Fairfield Echo newspaper, part of the Journal News Hamilton Journal chain of newspapers, and and I would fax my scripts from the Echo. I, I could I could fax them in. Yep. To the BBC. And if they were faxed anything back, it was a you know it was a thermal fax For you kids. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you do see a fax machine, if you can find one somewhere, which we have plenty of them in a the hospital because we they still fax in the world of medicine. But it's just regular computer paper or what people my age call typing papers, just regular paper that they fax on. But in the olden days, you had a big roll like a, a roll of paper towels, and it would come out, and the facts would come out all hot and smudgy and black, and so yeah, I would fax them on our thermal fax. Um, the script that I would write on the uh, newspapers computer, uh, and it was all I had was a typewriter at the house. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh,
1: it was it was finally computers by the time I joined. on, just barely, we had just gotten a computer, but. Uh... We'll get
0: so yeah, I don't know. The well okay and then uh when when Damien wanted to uh head to Greener Pastures again from the BBC, he uh put my he asked if if I should if he wanted me to if if I wanted him to put my name up and I said sure, let him know I'm interested in it. And so I went down there and interviewed and met everybody and I'd been writing for him for a while and I knew John Duke. Somewhere, somehow, either from just running into him at shows, like at Sudgie's and Bogarts. He knew who I was from the Chris and Rob show. I knew who he was from the Burbank show. So we met a couple times before I went down there. And then, uh, yeah, I remember the first thing that Damien showed me what I had to do in 1996 was to get the email from all the writers and I think I filled like two pages of a legal pad with all the steps it took huh. to get and print email.
1: Huh? Because I remember I had to fax for a while.
0: There was both. Okay. <laughs> there was both. Oh, you and know and, what? And and, uh, and uh, the fax because the computer, the 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 the, the email the way it was set up there was like two or three different addresses and people just got used to faxing and it would the email would take forever yeah because the computer the modem was so slow and you know the fax would just run the whole time as fast as you wanted to send it in and then <laughs> like you couldn't change the font size on the e, so you had on the email, so you had to like copy and paste it into a Word document and then make the font bigger. I mean, it was a process.
1: Yeah, I think I remember you finally discouraged us from using email and asked us to fax stuff in.
0: And then, uh, you know, then I don't know. Once we got to Windows 98 or something, then it became so much easier, and then the email became the way to go. But people still just what are they were used to? You could send it in. So, and pe- some people would write in classic radio script format, and other guys <laughs> are just pretty much sending a cocktail napkin or whatever.
1: That's for. Full- you pulled me in not long after that because I remember it was 96 and I was up there on Old Frog Mountain trying to pitch an entertainment show to uh, 1530 or 1360, one of those stations. And uh, I remember who I met with, but the guy was like, that's a fantastic idea. So yeah, it'll be like a sports talk show, but we'll talk about entertainment. He's like, that's a great idea. So here's what we'll do. You'll give us $5,000 and then go out and find advertisers. I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) What the hell are you talking about? So I walked out of the... Oh
0: yeah, that's, you know... Yeah, yeah. So I (laughs) walked...
1: I walk out of the meeting stunned, and there's Rob Irvin, and he's like, hey, PF, and I'm like, yeah, you want to write for us? And I'm like, sure, (laughs) and that's how I got the gig, Um, but as, so I remember uh, either asking you right then, I said, well, because I had never written for radio before, is there a certain format? Nah, just send it in.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, whatever, because I... I, I uh, there was actually you could actually take radio classes in college. Yeah, and I did, so I knew how to write for radio, which you know, there's like three tricks. You 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 actually write out numbers.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It, you, you know, be, because you want it to be able to look at it and see about how long it's going to run. Yeah. And so that you write out the number and you just, you know, you don't you write junior, not just JR period. And there's just a few little Exactly. <laughs> Although I can still hear and even like on ESPN radio, I could tell those guys are reading this stuff off the internet. Oh yeah. Because it's it's written for what well, used to be called newspaper style, but you know, now it's written for internet style. It's you know, when you say Rob Irvin, comma, fifty four, comma, from Hamilton, Ohio. You know, you don't talk, no one talks like that unless you're <laughs> reading something that was written for a newspaper. But you, I hear that like on ESPN radio, I hear that all over radio still. Yep. So I wish people would actually, and they don't even rewrite. That was the, you, you always rewrote. Sure, you always stole from the Toledo Blade and the BG News, but you at least rewrote it. Exactly. <laughs> no, nope, not anymore. No, man.
1: <laughs> no, no time for that nonsense. So you, you were there for a long time, right, right for the end. Well, we all were, I reckon. But, um, yep,
0: yep, yep, right up until, uh, well, actually past the end, because uh, the last show with Gary and uh, Duke and everybody was, I don't know, what, like a the Tuesday before Christmas?
1: Something like something that. Like, yeah, it's a December like 22nd, that. somewhere in there. Yeah, we showed up the, the Friday before everybody was stopping by, so we chose that day to show up, and uh Yeah.
0: And then they had me stick around and play reruns until New Year's Eve. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. there, like, by myself, you know, playing reruns for the last, you know, six, seven shows or whatever.
1: Yeah. So you got to do a lot, though. You got to do uh, uh, a couple of uh, characters. You got to do some occasionally bust out the guitar and things like that.
0: Yeah, I got to fill, I got to co host when uh, Gary wasn't there, or I got to fill in host when Gary wasn't there. It would usually be a mixture of uh, reruns, you know, because I was, hey, if you like Gary's guy who calls people on the phone, you'll love my guy who calls people. <laughs> you know, I wasn't going to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, but I would say, hey, I'm Rob Irvin. Now here's Gilbert Gnarly getting yeah. ready to call somebody, you know, or whatever.
1: Yeah, well, you and Duke it, would, be- uh, then I know sometimes Gary d- didn't cotton to that, and he would just have you guys play reruns. But then you would do sports or consequences from four to five, uh, and it would, then it was sports or rocker consequences.
0: Yeah, it was all. I mean, it changed all the time. I yeah. mean, I guess I don't know. Is I guess I, I mean I really don't know. Maybe he just wanted to change things up all the time. He never wanted even for his reruns to get stale. Yeah. Or something. So he always wanted to have. Sometimes, yeah, I would introduce stuff. Sometimes we would have well, I mean, a lot of times he did a really good setup when he played it the first time that yeah. was you know, wasn't mentioning the President Carter or anything, you know, and you could <laughs> go ahead and use it for for it was evergreen as they say. You could just keep using it and using it and using it, it was fine. There you go. Yeah, and then we would do sports or rock or consequences, uh, people would call up and ask us trivia questions and we would uh, answer them off the top of our heads
1: there you go and um and we did not look stuff up
0: <laughs> no one ever did
1: yep and you and duke are still uh buds because i know you, well before all this happened you guys will go out to las vegas a couple times a year
0: yeah um we actually went to belterra not that long uh, not that long ago before the you know all this uh, goofiness I said i oh, maybe it's been november maybe it's been november yeah, I bet on them. We could, you know, start gambling on the games. I bet on Bowling Green. I think he bet on Ball State and I won. There you Bowling go. Bowling Green beat Ball State, so that was a great night. <laughs> the
1: Yeah, we were going to go right before the uh, they were going to close at the following Monday. The Indiana, they already closed everything here and we were going to drive out there just to get one last casino fix, but we we did not make it. So, um so did you try and stay in radio after wlw or did you because i know the the industry the industry had changed as they say but uh it really had
0: the industry had changed and also i think i had changed um and so and plus they they had this thing called a uh a severance package which shocked the heck out of me and so i in perfect timing I thought, well, hell, I'm just going to coast for a few weeks off this severance package, and then I'll work. Find out by getting a job. Well, that was right when the recession was hitting, 2008 recession. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was great timing on my part. That's yeah, that was. If if I'd have been thinking, I would have just immediately started looking for a job, any job, any kind of job at all. But yeah, the uh, market started changing, and and and. Radio is just getting worse, and he, and people say that all the time. It can't get any worse. Yes, it can. It always will, and it always <laughs> does. Yep. And, you know, back this the crap that the, they were doing in the 90s and 80s when J-Core, they allowed J-Core to buy up all those AM signals just to take them off the air. I mean, you know, when I was a little kid, 1530 and 1360 and 550 and 700 and, and all the different stations up and down the aisle were all like competing and we're trying to be good. And then they let j Corps buy them all up just to take them off the air so they wouldn't compete with uh, WLW.
1: Yeah, well, and the thing, and it lasts to this day and it infuriates me, especially in the fall, why do I need four stations in Cincinnati carrying the Bengals? I just need the one. Okay, I'll give you two. AM, FM. Which really, you don't really need either one of them. You could just pick one, put it on the FM. And that's what they do in Cleveland now. They the Browns are on the FM station, and that's the end of it. Unless there's a conflict with uh, the Indians or something, and that's it. But there's four stations where you can hear the Bengals in the fall. That's ridiculous. And it's all, and then and then the post game show on top of that. Who cares?
0: Yeah, uh, that's uh, I don't understand. I mean, uh. football on the radio is not that. Big great. It's certainly, you know, baseball is the best on the radio by far. You know, football and football on the radio is, it's just when you want to check the score and then well,
1: if you're a Browns fan, that's all you can get down here. Uh, you will take it. Cause if thankfully at least so far, it's still free on the, uh, Cleveland Browns app. I can listen to the local broadcast on my phone, which is fantastic uh, in the cases where it's not on TV here. So.
0: And that's one thing that, um, working at ww did for me being just submerged in Bengals and reds it really kind of cooled my love of both the bangles and the reds huh. because the it talking about it all the time and dealing with the people who are fans you know they the, seem like they're for a long time the people who are the most passionate fans of the Reds who would tell you how much they love the Reds would tell you how much they love the Reds by telling you how much they hate individual players. (laughs) And It was, oh, my God, I'm the biggest Reds fan in the world. I love the Reds. I hate Adam Dunn. (laughs) I hate Barry Larkin. I hate, you know, this guy, that guy. I can't stand that guy. But, you know, hold on. I thought you were a Reds fan. Why do you hate so many of the individual Reds? But they did hate so many of the individual reds. And they all, you know, this guy's not trying. And they were just terrible people. The people who, <laughs> and I always tell myself, you can't let people who call radio stations give you a notion of what the general public thinks. Because only like 10% of the population would ever dream of calling a radio station. If that. If that. And they're, they're, they're crazy fired up if they're going to wait on hold for 20 Five minutes, 45 minutes, an hour and a half to tell you that King Griffey Jr. is a bum. I mean, that's some kind of weirdo <laughs> is doing
1: that. And his fact.
0: opinion should not be taken seriously. But those guys are out there, and I was dealing with them all day, and it was annoying. And they kind of just guys like, dude, do I want to be a Reds fan? If this guy's a Reds fan, mm, but you know, I'm sure if I'd have worked at KMOX or KDKA, and was submerged with Pittsburgh and St. Louis fans. I, it's probably the same thing.
1: Oh, I'm it's sure. Yeah. The,
0: so the actual fanatical types of any team are really bad, really bad, <laughs> really goofy. Uh,
1: so did you try to stay in radio though? Uh, after you,
0: after you got through all that. Um, I did, but not very seriously. I mean, I knew that I had no future with Clear Channel. And that, you know, that's most of the game there in Cincinnati. Uh, there's, and I, and I also didn't think I wanted to do a, be a DJ that cracked the mic once or twice an hour to, to say, get your Arby's gift cards by coming to the parking lot and spinning our mystery prize wheel. Now here's Boston. I don't, you know, I don't think I, I didn't think I wanted to do that, and I'm pretty sure I made the right decision because I wouldn't have been any good at it, and I wouldn't have enjoyed it.
1: Uh, so that's how you wound up in the uh, hospital business.
0: Yes, after casting about. Well, actually, uh, you know, ten years ago I was work. I did the uh, census ten years ago, and I think the Enquirer read a piece about census workers, and I was one of them. They picked because I had a colorful past. Because uh, the Gary Burbank show, uh, Doc Wolf had a character named Raleigh Gert who would do um, a senseless
1: that's right
0: survey, and he would call up and ask people senseless questions, pretending to be from the U.S. Senseless Bureau. And so, while I was working for the U.S. Census Bureau, they thought that was a good angle for a newspaper story. So, yeah, I guess it was about ten years ago. Probably, you know, like this week, there was an article in the. Inquirer, who are your census workers? Well, one of them used to know the guy that did senseless surveys. And I did that for like a year. That census gig went on for like a year.
1: Well, cool, man. Uh,
0: that, that was pretty cool.
1: Yeah. this uh, uh, It's been a fun chat here, a nice trip down memory lane. Um, and I think this went pretty well, considering it was our first non-in-person at all uh, uh, interview uh, for the podcast. Hopefully, we'll be getting back to um, uh, in person ones. We'll have you down for real to the, to the store in Hyde Park.
0: Cool. Sounds good. Cool. So you got everything you need?
1: I do. Uh, the last thing we need you to do, though, is uh, I don't know, if, again, if you've listened to the show, uh, our guest picks a promo code, and guest and uh, listeners can use that to take 20% off their entire Cincy Shirts or OldSchoolShirts.com order. And so you get to pick the promo code. What's the promo code going to be?
0: So I can just pick any any code at all.
1: Any word, any any word, any phrase.
0: Um, let's make it Robert.
1: Robert, there you go, nice. I don't think we've used that one before. All right, cool. Because so we had one where uh, postseason somebody chosen, and then I went back and we'd already used it. So in order to keep track of the two different ones, I had to put a dash in it, and I had to go back and tell people <laughs> in the and the after show thing that I, there's a dash in it. But yeah,
0: cool, man. Well, um, I didn't say sixty nine. I didn't say nah. seven fourteen, like most of the guys from Hamilton would have said. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hamilton! Exclamation point! Uh, that should have been one. Uh, well, cool, man. Uh, and oh, I want and uh, thank you, of course, for pulling me into the Burbank show uh, when you did. Because uh, even though it was just a part time, you know, gig, it was uh, still what probably, as Norm McDonald says about being on Weekend Update, the coolest job I'll ever have. So uh, that was a lot of fun. And um, dude, yeah. speaking
0: of codes and this. <laughs> we got computers at the uh, WLW when we moved to Kenwood and of course they all froze up and they were all locked up and stuff and Dukes was uh, freaking out so we had to call the IT guy and uh, the IT guy comes down to our office and and he (laughs) looks at John and says "All right, dude what's your password and John has to reply devil vagina 69
1: (laughs) Well, I think that's
0: a (laughs) The IT guy just rolls his eye. Oh, my God. Wow. No one else had that, did they?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Man, well, I think that is a good place to leave it then. Do you want to plug anything? Oh, you know what I need you to send me? Send me, um, for the playout song, send me anything from Rob Irvin and the High Strunk Lifters. I have Santa Drives a Truck, but, of course, they're coming up on spring. Uh, It's not
0: really, yeah, it's kind
1: of... Send me any tune you have, and we'll use that for the playout song here. Okay, cool. Great, man. All right, good talking to you.
0: All right, good talking to you. Thanks, brother. Bye. Take care.
1: Rob Urban had to call an audible there on the playout song. I asked Rob to send me a a few tracks from his band, Rob Urban and the high strung lifters, but he only sent me the shortcut files from the CDs. So uh, I had to go with an eighties alternative college radio staple. And of course uh, it fits too because you know, radio free Europe and whatnot. And that was a fun interview, right? We'll have to have him back. I just realized there's a lot of stuff uh, we didn't cover. Also, I should tell you, we have a 97X t-shirt on the site, as well as Gary Burbank Show t-shirts now, so do check those out. You can use that promo code to take 20% off your entire order of those. Order them all, why don't you? So if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast, or someone you'd like to hear again, you know, have back and talk to again, we're planning on having Pat Berry back uh, when all this is over, as well as some other folks, because uh, sometimes an hour just isn't enough. In one sitting, I think it's plenty, but, you know, there's, people have more to say. We've had a few return guests now that I think about it. John Keyswater was on twice. once talking about TV in general, once talking about WKRP specifically. Uh, the Honda Cincinnati guy's been on twice. Ronnie Salerno came on twice. Once to talk about Abandoned Stuff and Cincinnati's first outdoor pro soccer in the Comets, and then the second time just to talk about Abandoned Stuff. So, uh, yeah, if you want to have somebody back, just let us know. And, again, use podcast.sinceyours.com. Put podcast guest and the subject line and maybe tell us who you'd like to either have back or who you'd like to hear uh, on the podcast and might want to hear them on the podcast and whatnot. And, as always, you can use that email to donate to the podcast via PayPal or Venmo. Be sure to tell friends and loved ones about the show, including folks who may no longer live in the area but still feel connected to the tri-state. And if you haven't already, check out the Cincy Shirts podcast archives from baseball great Johnny Bench to actress Amy Yasbeck. Tons of great episodes back there. And today's show is produced by me with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing, who are from Philadelphia. And I think I'm going to try and get those guys on the show, too, and tell us the uh, backstory of that song. You can find all of their music, by the way, in iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your music, find veggies from great places like Philadelphia, Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Louisville, Seattle, Pittsburgh, and more. I think I said Pittsburgh twice, didn't I? Uh, anyway, you find those all at oldschoolshirts.com. Lots of funk sports teams, uh, shopping centers, restaurants, radio stations. Uh, it is like Cincy shirts, but for those towns. And the promo code works at that site too. And again, that promo code is Robert, all lowercase, all uppercase. You can alternate if you like; it shouldn't make a difference. And uh, yeah, use that to take twenty percent off your entire cincyshirts.com or oldschoolshirts.com order. You can also use the code in our physical or as we say brick and mortar stores once they reopen although it's only a weekly thing with the podcast but uh listen to that week's episode and when the stores reopen you can go in there and uh, use the promo code there as well Uh, so follow our social channels facebook instagram twitter and snapchat for the latest in c-shirts news tell your friends about the show give us a good review wherever you get the podcast from and as always download or stream us next time bye